This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. The title of our message this morning is Why Patriarchy? We want to welcome our online listeners. We are being blessed by some of the emails and the text messages that I've been receiving from actually different parts of the world, from South America and Colorado and Florida. Now two locations in Florida and uh, several locations in, in uh, Kansas. So we welcome our online listeners. This morning's topic is still under our series of Patriarch, but uh, the topic we're going to be covering this morning is why patriarchy? I mean, what's the big deal? And some of the emails that I have been getting have been asking that question, so I decided to actually address the question of why patriarchy. So um, most Christians today probably would accept the fact that it's important to have leadership. Would you agree with that or not? Just leadership in general. Yes. Okay. Well, online surveys have, have shown, in fact, if you go to GodTube, which is our favorite little place to get our video clips, there's actually videos that um, are in PowerPoint presentation mode that you can get surveys that have been done by the church, certain denominations, and whatever. So a lot of the data that I get, I get from these resources that actually focus on trying to find out what's going on inside the church. So I want to paint a scenario for you that hopefully it's going to create a question in your mind. What is a democracy? Okay. Where did democracy come from, supposedly? Yes. Who was the supposedly in history, there's been movies made on him and blah, blah, blah. Who supposedly was the original guy that came up with democracy? Spartacus. And what he did is he, because the of the war... Uh, that Spartacus was involved with with the Greeks and ultimately the Romans. Uh, the Romans took Spartacus's idea and actually came up with the Senate and the House and democracy. Okay, but Spartacus was the original that we can find in history that came up with this idea to empower the people, so they all felt like they were in a free society. But if you look into the history of Spartacus, you're going to find out there was nothing free about it. He had full, absolute control over his society. But the men were willing to die for him. They were willing to die for this structure. It was a feeling that he gave the people that they vote him into power. But see, he had a very unique way of keeping them voting him into power. My point is this, 
Democracy empowers the people to have authority over their leader, does it not? Who does the president work for? The people. Who do our senators work for? Us. Now, do they really? Or is it big government that actually runs us? We have on our hands a modern-day Spartacus government. That's all it is, because it does not work. Here's what does work, is when you, de when you develop a democracy and you get this deception going that the people actually have authority over their leaders, they have the right to demand their rights. But there was a denomination very early on in Boston. I will say it's the oldest church in Boston, so if you want to go online and research it to find out the denomination, you may do so because I have a thing about this denomination to start with. Because they brought this democracy into the church and gave the church members the right to vote over their leader. Congregational rule. The reason why that this is far safer for us as Christians is that it makes us feel safer that we can boot out leaders if we don't like them. No. The reason why that we have 3,002 denominations, 3,002 registered denominations in America is because of this problem. If the people don't like you, they boot you out. You say, well, we can't have these authoritarian leaders running around leading churches and fellowships and flocks and abusing authority. Absolutely, we do not want that. And that's why God gave us the structure of eldership. The senior pastor is not to be the head of a church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and the scripture says that. The elders, plural, elders, are to be ruling from what they hear corporately and individually in prayer with the Lord for the people. You just happen to have one of the elders who is a preaching elder. But all the elders should be able to preach. That's the original structure of the church. But the reason why I'm bringing this out, this little history lesson on, on governmental management, is because what we have in America when it comes to democracy does not support patriarchism. There is a country that they're making a big deal about right now because the prince is getting married next week that has this system set up where the patriarchy and the bloodline and the blah, blah, blah is so critical. But I'll tell you what. The church adopted the system of the power of the people. So therefore, they had control over the leaders of the churches and they decided to run the leaders out of the churches or bring leaders into the church. And the end result that happened after several centuries is the churches emptied out. They are now museums. And that got into the parliament. And monarchy does not blend with democracy. There is a nation, Uganda, and I have spoken with the parliament personally about this. There are governments that have tried to keep the monarchy and democracy at the same time. And all it does is creates 
coups, takeovers, hostile takeovers, guerrilla warfare. What they decided to do in Great Britain is separate the monarchy from the parliament. So the monarchy is nothing more than poster kids. They have no power, and I don't know if you know that, but the queen has no power. She does over her domain that is literally fenced off inside that city, but as for the country, she has primary right to give input, but she has zero power in managing the people. They don't mix. And history shows us they don't mix. Patriarchy is how God functions in heaven. And he will never change it to modern culture or people getting their feelings hurt. He will never change it. But I'm going to show you something that is a little bit mind-bending. And maybe your mind's like when I first started to study this. I hit my, Jane and I figured, 14,000, 15,000-hour mark last week of research on my book that I'm writing on the book of Revelation. And I just have been dedicating the past half of the year on, actually almost a year now, studying uh, the descendants of Ishmael. It just this week, the president of Iran has come out and said, I am the representative of Made. And some people are blowing it off. I am not. Made is the Muslim Christ. He's going to rule the world for seven years and he's going to purify the earth during those seven years of all anti-Muslims. But they believe the Mahdi is coming to fight the Antichrist, according to the Quran, the Christian Antichrist, to be specific. So the Antichrist that's going to pop up in Europe is what the Muslim Mahdi considers the enemy. There will be a battle between the two Antichrists, the Muslim one and the European one, and neither one of them are our Jesus. The Muslims do have a Jesus. His name is Issa. All of this is in the news this week. Now I want to show you something. Simple piece of truth. Satan wants all nations to feel like they have the power to control leaders. In the churches, in the governments, everywhere. But he, Satan himself, is a patriarch structured leader. He will be in charge. He's going to do exactly what Spartacus did. This is very, very important topic for the end times, the present times, and understanding our history. Satan functions in the patriarch structure. All his ten kings will be under him like elders and so forth and so on. So all of these opinionated Christian, self-identified Christians, all these opinionated secularists, all these opinionated historians, all these opinionated people can say anything they want about needing control over ruthless people. And I'm here to tell you, in the end, Satan will laugh in their face and he will require them to bow to patriarchism. Because Satan replicates the original system that works. And that is, God is the patriarch. Jesus is the prince. And we're the bride of the prince. This is critical stuff. So what we're going to do is unfold the full biblical picture that at least that we can get our arms around on biblical leadership over the next handful of months. 
to really understand and grasp the reality and the truth of God as the patriarch. But before we do that, we need our Hebrew people to help us here. Okay, I need two volunteers. Gracie, you want to be one? Okay, Zion. It's good that you're bold today. Gracie, you want to help? Tori? All right. Okay, Zion, what we do every week is we have a new Hebrew word. And if you, why don't you stand about right here and it won't be in your face. And in Hebrew, which is the language God uses to talk, he uses pictures. Okay, so the girls are going to hold the ox. See this? That's an ox's head, right? And that is a fence. Okay? And the word we're going to look at is brother. So you girls hold up the ox, and Zion, you hold up the fence. And when I say ox, girls, you need to say strong. Okay? And when I say fence, you're supposed to say protection. Okay? Ox. Strong. Okay? And fence. Protection. Protection. And we put those two together and we have strong. Strong. Protection. That's our Hebrew word. Strong protection. Okay, you may sit down. So our Hebrew word today is brother. And a brother is, keeping it in the lineage of our study, a brother is the seed of the patriarch, not the blood. Because a daughter is the blood. Blood lineage passes through women. Seed lineage passes through men. And the reason why Jesus could be born without having sin inside of his mortal body is because sin is passed through the brother. Sin is passed through the seed, not through blood. Now, I don't think some of you realize the significance of what I just said. That would change one particular church, and I'm not going to hide the name, the Catholic church that believes Jesus is holy. He came from a holy woman. She had to be holy because everyone knows you're born into sin. So therefore, Jesus was not born into sin. Mary had to be holy, who must be the mother of God, must be the wife of the patriarch, queen of heaven, is what this Old Testament refers to it as. It's a belief that's going to come back. It's already in their church, but they're going to be preaching on it more and more, the queen of heaven. I'm here to tell you that the way this works, the Bible says sin is passed through the seed the brother, men. Blood, there is sin in women because of their father, but they don't pass sin on. This is all a part of the design and the makeup of men and women that you rarely hear talked about. But it's in the scripture. It also says in the Old Testament that identity is in the blood. Well, we know that today. My doctor friend who's on our board has shown me how our identity is literally in our DNA. And that comes through blood. Our DNA comes from the women. That's why Mary had to be a direct descendant of David and his seed. That's how it works. Now the Muslims, Issa, Jesus, and they do refer to this 
Jesus as Jesus. The Muslim Issa in the Quran, and I read it again this week, they believe that uh, Miriam, the mother of Jesus, was not married to Joseph. They believe that she was a single woman under the authority of the prophet who was the father of John the Baptist. In other words, she didn't have a father, and she certainly did not have a husband. And Gabriel came and said, you will be with child by miracle of God. It does not say the same terminology that we use in our Bible about receiving the seed of God. Literally, God being the Father. There's no sin in the Father. So therefore, when God put his seed inside of Mary, there was no sin getting inside of Jesus. Do you understand this? Science supports the gospel. There was no sin inside Jesus because there's no sin inside the seed that made Mary pregnant because God doesn't have sin. You've just completely unraveled the Catholic Church with the last 10 minutes of what I've told you. The feminine movement started from this deception I just exposed. They empowered this woman to have control and authority that she did not have by making her the queen, the God over Jesus, the queen, the bride of God, which is what the Muslims believe we are saying. You don't believe me? Go research it. That's why they are appalled at how we talk. So they, Muhammad, when he rewrote the Bible... He rewrote it in such a way that Mary was this wandering single lady who was supervised by John the Baptist's father. And after this miracle happened, she was sent to the desert and she had this baby. And 40 days after she had the baby, she comes back to town and they accuse her of being a harlot. And she says, look to the baby. And so the people in the town look toward this baby Issa and ask the baby if this baby was the product of harlotry. They listened to her. That's what she told them to ask. This is all in the Quran. And so the baby at 40 days old responded to the people asking the question with this profound verse that is quoted by the scholar's the Muslim scholars since Muhammad. Forty-day-old baby, out of the mouth of babe, he shouts out this Muhammad statement. That's their story of Issa. And the Issa that's coming after the Mahdi is not the same Issa because they don't believe in resurrection. So you say, ah, oh, well, why should we spend all of our time, you know, talking about this kind of stuff in our Christian fellowships? Well, folks, I'm telling you, if you don't start getting answers to simple doctrinal things, you're going to be deceived because the Made, by proclamations, and I went on their websites this week just to double check, and I have some of my favorites, and they're all saying the Made is here. All of them. The Sunni, the Made is here, and he's in Iran. And in the Quran, it actually says the black uh, standard has to come out of Iran. The black standard is a march to purify the earth. So whether you believe it or not, it doesn't matter. They do. 
And when a radical believes something, you have to experience the wrath whether you believe what they believe or not. So we need to stay awake. How does it apply to patriarchism? One of their primary doctrines is opposite of what I showed you this morning. Now, a brother who is the seed of the father is to be the strong fence to actually protect the sisters, to protect the other brothers, to protect the family, to protect the, the head of home, the elder, to protect the patriarch. That is, that is their job. So when brothers are laying down on the job because their eyes are all caught up in lust and they're having a hard time like the young men described in Chan's video about having to stare at the sidewalk and have headsets on with music just to get across the college campus. That is, that is not where our minds are supposed to be as men. We're not to be fighting lust. We are to be proactively moving beyond lust and dealing with the messages of truth that God wants us to pass to the younger generation. But we can't. Because our women are actually promoting bondage for the men by the way they dress and act, just like Chan was saying in the video. They are contributing to the stopping of the truth for the brother to move beyond and get into doctrinally sound issues and resolving those, learning those, and getting ready to pass those to the next generation. Here's some classic customs of, of a patriarch. Is, he is uh, the tip of a tribe or the power of a clan. Clan is not a family. Now, clan can be a family. Someone tell me what clan really is. Sounds like something from the hills of Missouri. A clan is a whole community of heads of home. But all the seed lineage come back to one particular seed. So when that guy dies, it's the next guy. And that guy dies, it's the next guy. And that's how the clan stays alive from generation after generation. That's a clan. It's not a head of home. So they're the tip of the clan then they must be a proven father or strength and leader of a house, which as we have studied before, is the Hebrew word picture of a head of home, a father, the strength or leader of a house. He leads worship of the family. So, for example, if... Uh, Q was functioning in family worship and I decided to just bop in, you know, just say hello or whatever, and he is running family worship. According to what you've learned so far, what, what should automatically start happening? Yeah, he immediately turns family worship over to the patriarch. He said, well, that's his house. The patriarch does not literally own the house. It, the house becomes a separate and private arena of authority that is to be governed by the head of that home. But when, it used to be when I was a, when I first got saved, if the pastor walked into the room, you always defaulted to the pastor to do the praying over the meal. And some practices, they still have that level of reverence for the pastor. 
So if he's in the room, they just automatically default to the pastor taking spiritual leadership over the room. Well, that's not difficult to understand for most Christians. Well, of course, that's the pastor. The pastor is to be the demo of the patriarch model. He's to show the other patriarchs how it's done. So family worship is like the senior pastor coming in to a Wednesday service and the, the guy who's leading the Wednesday service, who happens to be one of the pastors on staff, says, uh, pastor is going to take over. And if the senior pastor goes, oh, Pastor Jim, you go, you go ahead. Finish, please finish what you're doing. I, I'm enjoying this. Yes, sir. It's not that he won't speak. There's just a default. Well, it works in the church. Churches all over the world that still do it that way. But for some reason, they don't want it done in families. The enemy has a reason for that. We're going to get to it later. Firstborn son oftentimes succeeds or embraces the staff. So when we have this staff, if you remember the story of, of uh, Jacob and poor, poor Isaac, is kind of like, there's my boy's head. He couldn't see. And he, he, he probably could barely talk. He's at the end of his line. And what does his wife do? She took advantage of a weak moment. And she is the one that stole the right of patriarch. And she gave it to her son. If you study the story carefully from the Hebrew, you're going to see the end times. I promise you. It is exactly how it's going to unfold. And it's exactly how the Muslims believe it's going to unfold. So they, yes, they do tend to abuse their women. Yes, they do tend to think they're the top of the pile in, in, in King Tut and all these labels that we have given them because they're so fearful of their people turning out like the Americans, the Christians. So with that, I give them understanding. I do. They're so fearful that their people are going to turn out like the Americans. They hate us. I don't care who you talk to in America, Muslim-wise, if they have been Americanized, the Muslims as a base group despise Americans. For that reason, they have dishonored this. Yes, they go to extremes on these things, which makes it wrong, but it doesn't erase the truth. To reduce the complexity of marriage... And what that means is, if their son is saying, well, I don't like this wife, I'm going to divorce this one too, and he's on a second, third divorce, whatever. My record in counseling is nine. Nine divorces of a guy, and he's sitting there, and he's wanting to divorce number nine. And he wanted to marry the church secretary, number ten. So my advice had to be to restore his relationship with number nine. And, of course, he didn't do that. So the patriarch is to bring it down to the simplicity of keeping the clan clean. And there's endless stories in the Bible on the patriarch keeping the clan clean. I don't want you marrying over here, and I want you to stay away from that. I know she's cute, but, you know, and he's just working at keeping the clan clean. Because that is one of his primary jobs while he is alive, is keeping the clan clean. And clans become unclean because they marry into other clans. That's why they're called clansies. 
where the passageway of the firstborn blessing of God, they are not King Tut. They are a passageway. They carry a staff. So what Isaac did under deception is he, he did the best job he could because he, since he was blind, he knew that Esau you know, probably wasn't hearing real well either. And so Esau you know, wanted to feel the arm because Esau was kind of a gorilla kind of guy. You know, an outdoors kind of man and rough and tough. and So he wanted to feel his arm. Make sure it was his firstborn. Well, his wife knew that, so they put goat skin. There's that, that goat thing again. Put goat skin on top of, of his arm and, and, you know, sat his arm over there. And, oh, that's my son. Then appealed to him, you know, you're on your way out, Dad. Really like to have that blessing now. And it is passing the staff over. You don't have to be dead. It doesn't get activated until there's death. He passed that staff over to Jacob, whom he thought he was passing the staff over to Esau. Well, there are complications to this very day in our nations because of that day. We're still paying the cost of her decision to deceive her husband. To find a faithful Proverbs 31 woman is what does Proverbs 31 say? Is a what? To find a good woman is a, it's rare and it is a good thing. Good meaning righteousness. It's a very, very difficult thing to find. Because what, what the patriarch was primarily after is that his son would not marry a woman who would sell off his stuff that he worked his whole life for and his father worked his whole life for and his grandfather worked his whole life for. You see what I'm saying? He, he wants to make sure that the number one vulnerability of patriarchism, which is women selling off this value, which happened in the garden, it is not an insult to women. It is, it is the bent of the sin of women. Men, I just showed you a video what their bent and sin is that brings them to death. That stuff you saw in the video will stop a patriarch, a future patriarch, now for a long time. So you see, there's her stuff and there's his stuff. And the patriarch's responsibility is first to make sure his own life is clean, secondly to make sure that the household's he is responsible for remain clean. And if they're not clean, to get them clean. Does that make sense? Okay. Introduces personal faith and guides the tribe through life. So he could come into a household and say, don't do that, do this, blah, blah, blah. But that is not honor. That is an insult to your own leadership. Authoritarianism is an insult to a patriarch. Authoritativeness is not an insult. So it's stepping into the tribe, uh, the uh, uh, head of home, and guiding them and directing them into what is the proper way to go in a given situation. That's all it is. It's like having a mentor, I guess, is a modern terminology that's used today. But when mentors aren't patriarchs, it decreases this, it does not increase this. It's like getting advice from your younger brother. Encourage his tribe with God's promises. 
other words, use the word to encourage and empower and to grow and exalt, not your own words. And then to reveal God's will, which comes with that, of course. To lead in prayer in all tribal and family gatherings, which we kind of already covered. And then to lead in circumcision, prayer and cutting, used to be. So you didn't bring in the local doctor to do the circumcision back then. You brought in the patriarch, and he came with his sacrificial knife. And he did this, this covenant prayer of circumcision over the child and over the head of that home. Then he grabbed the flesh, the, the excessive flesh of the male child, and he cut it off. That is symbolic. If you study circumcision in the Old Testament, you'll understand the value of a, patriot, a, pa- a patriarch, and that is this. He initially dealt with that young man's excessive flesh. That is his job and responsibility. He is then responsible for the excessive flesh of that young man the rest of his life. You take that into the New Testament, and someone tell me what excessive flesh is. It's your sin. It's going in and saying, this is sin, don't do this. It's grabbing the excessive flesh and whacking it off. That's why this practice here as a baby moves all the way up to this staff. And when there's a break in that, then there is an independence that moves that boy away from the patriarch. Therefore, the patriarch will not deal with the excessive flesh of that young man. To be named after, to carry on memories of spiritual heritage. So what they would do is they typically would make sure that uh, one male child for sure was named after the patriarch. Secondly, they make sure that property was named after the patriarch. Usually it was a community, a village, a street. All of your street signs and names of towns and whatever are named after patriarchs. It's what they are. We don't look at it that way when we drive by Adams and we drive by Jackson and we drive by... We don't look at it like that anymore. But that's how it started and it stayed that way up to the 1940s. Something happened in the 1940s where we no longer named streets after patriarchs. We started naming them after cute things. Trees, rocks, whatever. Towns started getting named real funky things. Originally... A location identified the local patriarch, the local clan. And if you go over and look at the early maps in the Middle East, you actually see who is in control of that land when that community was established. And then has a special relationship and connection with God. I am of the belief that a patriarch, for example, I believe now that Phil's father is gone, that Phil is going to be given special spiritual insights that his son will, will not be given by God. I believe God as a patriarch gives in the order of his system of patriarchism. It doesn't mean that the heads of home within that clan are spiritually ignorant. No. God gives special intuition, special uh, ideas, thoughts, direction, 
God's will through Phil to give to his sons, to give to their wives, to give to their children. Any questions about that one? Okay, a couple more. Is able to demonstrate personal relationship, knowledge of God's promises, and the awareness that obedience to the will of God is of the essence of true faith. He is the heart of the tribe and the family's faith. And if you remember when we were defining from the Hebrew, uh, one of the definitions of father was heart. It's the heart of the tribe. It's the heartbeat of the tribe. Has the responsibility to transmit the manners, customs, and beliefs of a tribal lineage. Has the right of succeeding adoptions in case of impotence, incompetence, could be impotence too, in cases of incompetence, uh, prodigal vacancy, prodigal vacancy. It's basically if you have a son who is going prodigal on you, uh, no birth son, in which case he could adopt a slave, a relative, a son by marriage, or a freeborn man. In other words, someone in my case who does not have a physical son, I can go to um, first, well, since I don't have any slaves, I obviously would not go that direction, but I could look into my relative pool, and then I can look into my son's by marriage pool. And if there's still a shortage of, of preparation for a patriarch, then I go to a freeborn man. And that would be a man that I admire. So if I died, that person would come and supervise my wife and thus play the role, function in the role of patriarch for my family. And they would have to consider from the bottom up that gentleman to be the father of, of my tribe. So actually, it still functions that way in most legal wills today. They just don't use this terminology anymore. And I, I personally believe, and I had a dialogue with, with my Washington Post guy this week about vocabularies, and I made this quote, and he says, I'm actually going to quote this one uh, and I said, well, you know, do whatever you want with it. But I said, I believe dictionaries are the most destructive thing that man has ever come up with. Because men define their own verbiage to define their own religion or beliefs. And this is what is happening is the ver verbiage is being changed in our country every single year. New versions and releases are coming out. And these these strong, true, biblical definitions are drifting into the past. Well, a lot of my stuff I get for Patriarch, <clears throat> like I got this out of European Encyclopedia. So even a lot of the original stuff that they wrote down, they got out of the Bible. Now, if it's not matching the word, I'm not putting it in. But if it is matching the word, I'm putting it in. But if you look at Webster's, you know, 2009 version, you won't even see any of this. In fact, patriarchism, patriarch, they'll say, is a Greek word. Just go look at it. Just grab a dictionary and look at it. It'll say it's of Greek origin. That's a liar, liar, pants on fire right there. <laughs> it is not of Greek origin. 
sets up for biblical eldership in the New Testament. So the whole idea of talking about Old Testament patriarch is to set up for biblical eldership in the, in the New Testament church. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. That's why we're doing this topic in our little fellowship. It's to set up for this. It's not to go living in the Old Testament. Since God doesn't change his beliefs from Old to New Testament, and old teachings are to set up for new living, we have to keep the two connected. That's all. And once you do that, you'll understand biblical eldership in the New Testament, which is our next topic we're going to, or a series that we're going to go into. Finishing with a couple diagrams. Overlap in patriarchy. This is something that you find a repetitive habit in the Word of God. You have Adam. Now, he lived a while, didn't he? And you have Noah. Now, some actually believe they actually overlapped. They didn't need to overlap because each of these overlap until we get Noah. But what I want you to see very quickly is that under patriarchism is that these, this patriarch and these sons, who all became patriarchs by the definition and standard of the word in Hebrew, each of them starts out by living a model of what they get from God. Adam gives it to Seth. Seth gives it, and so forth, and so on. So in this patriarchism overlap, there was this huge panic by Satan. Patriarchism was getting stronger and stronger and stronger while the people were getting more and more corrupt. This series I'm going to be doing with my emails in the book of Revelation after I'm done with the Muslims is what you're looking at right now. I'm going to compare what happened from Adam to Noah from Jesus to the rapture. And I believe that we are given prophetic details in what happened here, the same reason on why Jesus is going to come back and take his children, the rapture. The same reason God says, I'm going to save the remnant, Noah and his children. I don't know what went on between Ham and his brothers. I don't know. But I have this sneaky suspicion it was the same stuff that went on between two other brothers in the garden. Who were they? Cain and Abel. I think it is a fight in war over the blessing of patriarch, of the patriarch. So all of a sudden Noah comes after the flood and God destroys all of the emergent type of humans that were not supporting the overlapping structure of patriarchism which is to pass the truth from generation to generation. It's how the gospel stays alive because people don't believe God. They believe people. So God gives it to a patriarch to speak so the sons say yes sir and so forth and so on, all the way down through the generations. And then all of a sudden you have a son who steps out 
in immorality, walks into his father's tent and sees his father naked, which was a huge no-no back then. It should be a huge no-no today, but it's not. We make money off of it today. But it was a huge no-no. To see a patriarch without his covering, the robe of righteousness as is spoken by Jesus Christ that is given to us comes from this story. And Job and Noah's robe was his righteousness covering him, his own shame from birth. So to have his son come in and see his nakedness without his righteous robe was the greatest insult a patriarch could ever experience is to disrobe a patriarch. And the consequence was when, when Noah sobered up and came around and his, his other two brothers walked in with a blanket backwards, laid the blanket over their naked father and came out of the tent to preserve the patriarch. And he wakes up and he, he, he realizes what's going on here and he's a, so, so he starts asking questions, obviously. And the brothers say, well, we, we covered your nakedness, your shame, your birth sin. And we protected your patriarchism, is what they're saying. But our brother, oh boy. What was the consequences of Ham's sin? First, what was his sin? Patriarch. That's it. It was not... The fact is, Deb's laying there drunk and naked. Because drunkenness is a sin. It was that he did not cover his father with righteousness. A multitude of love does what? It covers sin. Those two brothers were demonstrating a New Testament Jesus principle of covering sin. Not disrobing and Ham disrobed his patriarch, and the patriarch got up and said, Cursed are you and every seed child that comes from you from this day forward, and that today is coming out of the black standard of Iran. And they are irate. Do you understand how significant God's careful design of this stuff is? Literally by the ages? Check this out. Adam and Eve, Seth, Noah, Shem, all the way down to the big deception. But see, God's, God's got an issue here. He could have jumped in through Gabriel or whoever and said, Don't believe her. She's lying to you. She's deceiving. The real patriarch is out getting some quail or whatever. No. When God sets a patriarch up, he gives him his right to function as one. He himself will allow it. And God shifted the blessing over to a decision that was made by the patriarch. Should have went here. Was shifted over, given to Jacob, but God still established the twelve tribes, the twelve Patriarchs. I can talk to you about ten of the patriarchs, and they were not pleasant men. And you know it if you know the story of Joseph. 
But God still used these patriarchs who were out of line to continue his message of truth. So he had to skip over a few generations to get the truth reactivated. And how did he do that? From one particular patriarch out of the twelve. We can do an interesting study on that one guy leading all the way to David. So, get this. This is just a cutesy. Okay, uh, You have the three sons. The story we just talked about. Ham is where the Babylonians came from. As you know, he took off from the bottom of Mount Ararat, which was the original civilization. He headed on down to, to Iran area and, and Iraq area, and they established Babylon. From Babylon became the first training center for the Muslim people. Very first university. So the Babylonians is where Hagar came from. Babylonians also known as Egypt. Because when God broke the tower down, put different languages in their mouth, the primary group headed off to Egypt and reestablished these temples in a different way. So the Babylonians became Egyptians primarily. Hagar is, was, is literally one of her names in the Hebrew is called daughter of Egypt. So Sarah panics. God always goes through the, the weakness of the flesh. And for men, I'm sorry, it's women. That's why I wanted to, you to see that video this morning. It's their weakness. Sarah wasn't trying to be mean. She wanted her husband to have a, a future patriarch. But see, God had already promised. She was, I mean, it's what, 82 years old by this point? I mean, it's a long time to wait. I understand what she was suffering. But it was wrong. So Hagar steps in, Abraham and them, you know, blah, blah, blah. Ishmael comes about. And Ishmael, as we know, is the father of the Muslims. And they're claiming their firstborn right of Abraham. And they think this Isaac guy is a secondborn because of what they believe about seed versus blood. So they are claiming what they believe is an authentic right of firstborn. That's what's going on there. Japheth is where we get the Europeans from. Rome. As we know, the, our country's collapsing every single week and they're being turned over to the European Union to be managed. Our country, this week, asked for an extension till September. We are so close to being turned over to the Union that they don't want the Americans to understand how bad it is. This is going to have an Antichrist? This, this group is going to have an Antichrist? And this group has the Christ. These two are going to fight it out. And there will be one Antichrist. And this one will win. But isn't it interesting how all the work God goes through here to get this back in line again? And we think that these just being introduced to each other just for the fun of it, and they met at the local you know, Hebrew dance and whatever. No! God is moving because of a decision that was made. God's moving and adjusting and getting everything back where it needs to be. That is the right of a patriarch, is what you're looking at. Every time one decides, well, I'm going to be the king, and tries it, God goes, well, I can work with that but you're going to suffer for it. Anyone who steals from patriarchism 
will be dealt with, Old or New Testament. It is guaranteed. <coughs> Scripture shows that over and over and over. So here's our primary reason for patriarchism. It's to pass the Word of God down. So the Word of God given to Jesus, He literally becomes the Word. And that's what Jesus says, for He is the Word. And He came to dwell among us so we could be old as glory. And then Jesus uh, physically leaves... And the Holy Spirit says in 14.26, he says, For I bring to remembrance the words of Jesus. Well, Jesus' words are the patriarch's words. The Holy Spirit gives it to the patriarchs. Same word. These are the elders that actually lead in the word. The patriarchs are actually to be governing the governmental leaders. I told you the story about how afraid I was in Washington when I first started. And a guy in Washington who was a Christian set me aside and says, do you realize you have authority over these men and women? But you have authority over them? That totally changed, changed how I handled my meetings. So that's originally how it was supposed to be. And even if I held them to the structure of democracy, it would have been true. But that is not how God views a patriarch is not through democracy. And then the government is to support these truths being given to the husband. The husband is to wash his wife with the word, and the wife is to train the children up in the way of the word, and the children are to practice it on the dog. And then you have a stable civilization. That's the purpose of a patriarch. It's not so you can have a King Tut laying around, walking around, you know, thinking that they're the best of the very best. It's to get the word properly passed from one generation to another. When one of these, because we have a diagram, if you remember, of the different families, when one family, two families in the clan pull away from patriarchism, then you have doctrines of all kinds of ills come in to affect the family. But spiritually, God can, will, and has shift patriarchy to the next one down. That's how it works. That is the rights of a patriarch. It's, the goal is not patriarchism. The goal is the word of God. That's it. But if you have a brother who is honoring the word of God and living the word of God and breathing the word of God, then that brother needs to be heard, listened to, and carefully walked with if it's an older brother. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events, and we will work to keep the focus on God Jesus Christ and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org.